I felt dirty. I felt damaged. And that followed me into then high school romantic relationships and into college relationships that became unhealthy very quickly. Well, quite an admission from Jessie Manassian as she describes her very secret struggle, a shameful sin that dominated most of her growing up years. She's with us again today on Focus on the Family, and you'll hear more about similar challenges that so many teenage girls face, even within Christian homes, and how you as a parent can help your daughter face these kinds of issues with grace and hope and God's love. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we had a very good discussion last time with Jesse, who interacts regularly with teen girls and college-age young ladies at her website, Life, Love, and God. Um, Last time, she described five types of secret sin. Uh, These are temptations that today's teens are dealing with, both boys and girls. Um, Things like cutting and drug abuse and eating disorders, sexual sin, and uh, even same-sex relationships, given the culture today. And I know there are um, some parents feeling uncomfortable about this topic. In fact, they're saying, listen, it's not happening in our house. Our kids are in a great place. That may be true, um, but it's also possible that you're not seeing this side of them. And we just simply want to equip you with the ability and the knowledge to be able to have good open communication with your teens and your 20-somethings about where they're at so that they can thrive in Christ. They can move further and deeper into relationship with the Lord. And I want to say right from the beginning, yes, you want to make sure younger children are occupied, but you know what? We can't pull back from these good, important discussions because this is where the culture's at. And I'll tell you what, I'm not allowing the enemy to steal my children, and I don't want him to steal your children from you in these key areas of sexuality and other things. God has given that as a gift of marriage, and uh, I want my boys to be healthy, and I'm preparing them. Um, to love young ladies that are probably 13, 14, 15 right now. And I want their lives to be as whole as they can be so that they can honor and love the Lord as deeply as possible. And uh, Jesse, let me say welcome back to Focus. Thank you so much for having me. Let me let me say to you, um, I don't know if I'm old enough to be your dad, but I'm certainly old enough probably to be the younger uncle. Um, <laughs> you know what? I so appreciate your vulnerability here. One of the great things that we lack in the church today is that vulnerability where we are struggling. We are human beings. We are caught in this world full of sin, outside and inside, and we have shortcomings. And your brave uh, approach, your courage to be able to get on national radio and say, listen, as a teen girl, I had secret sins. I just want to say thank you for doing it and being bold enough to write about it in order to help other teen girls. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. And truly it is for the love of these girls, these girls who come to the website who are so broken and don't know where to turn, but feel like there may be some glimmer of hope. And I just want to fan that flame and open their eyes to see that freedom is possible. You think about it and where you live for those many years, about 13 years of your life growing up, And you read John 10.10, and you see that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That had to take on such meaning for you when you fully embraced the Lord and understood what was going on in your life. Talk about that passage and what it meant for you, for him as a thief, to come and steal from you 
mm-hmm. your joy and your peace and your your faith in God. I think when I finally found freedom from my sin, it was relief. And then to hear that the enemy, we're not ignorant of his schemes, right? As we read through scripture, we see what his strategy is. And that upsets you as a believer. But it wasn't until I became a big sis to these girls that the mama bear came out. And now you will get me fired up talking about the way that he has imprisoned these girls. And it's not right. It's not right. It's heartbreaking to hear these stories. So true. You know, Romans 12, uh, verse 2, Paul writes and says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That really is setting up the discussion, isn't it? It absolutely is. It's a changing of the mind. That's exactly what needs to take place to replace the lies, the labels that we've had, plastered to our own hearts, super glued by shame to replace those lies with the truth of who we are in Christ and what he has already done for us and giving us freedom. And I would only say, if you missed the program last time, it was really good. And we touched on the issue of shame. And let me just uh, bring that for a little recap. You talked about some shame being very healthy for us because it puts us back on the right course. But the devastating shame that the enemy lays on us because of our repeated failures before the Lord. Paint that picture quickly again for us as a 16-year-old, already several years with sexual sin. What did it feel like? You know, healthy shame, again, it's that godly sorrow that can lead us to repentance if we allow it to. But unhealthy shame says, not only have I done something wrong, but I am something wrong. There's a fundamental wrongness in my identity, and I can't change. And that's where we just jump on that spin cycle of sin when shame just gets massaged so deep into our hearts that we can't think straight. It becomes, in your mind, who you are rather than what you do. Exactly. Um, Talk about the other... Other secret sins. We've mentioned sexual sin. Uh, What are the other things that young girls today uh, are being trapped in? Mm -hmm. The four other most common secret sins that girls most often confess to me through life-loving God are eating disorders, self-harm or cutting, as it's commonly known, substance abuse, and same-sex relationships. Yeah. I mean, and again, things that will really uh, take them in a Uh, in a difficult direction in their life. Um, Let me start with a story that you shared in your book, Unashamed. Um, You described buying a car and then having to deal with the check engine light. Now, all of us that have gone through this are going, ugh. (laughs) So you bought this this used car, I would assume, and and all of a sudden the engine light goes on. How how did that correlate now to the dark side of... (laughs) What does that have to do with anything, right? Well, I... As a 19-year-old girl, got my very first car. So excited because that meant freedom. And I drove that little MR2 with the pistol grip shifter all over <laughs> California. It's not that you like this car, huh? <laughs> it, was, it was my first car. And it went fast. And a no 19-year-old should have a fast car. I had so much fun driving that thing all over and enjoying my newfound freedom. But very soon into our relationship, that car told me what it thought of my reckless driving and the only way it knew how. Big orange letters, check engine. Now I'm a 19-year-old girl and I spent every last penny that I had on buying the car. So I don't have money to take it to mechanic. And I know not all girls are bad with cars, but I'm not great with cars. So I just assumed that maybe it would go away. 
So I just kept <laughs> the driving. Would go away. Yeah, it'll burn out eventually. <laughs> so I just kept driving it. And, you know, I noticed that maybe there was like some amber color liquid under the car every once in a while. And so eventually, you know, I, I was buying cases of oil. Literally. Cases. Kept them in the trunk of my car. Poured in a quart of oil to get to the grocery store. I know. This is really humiliating. Dad, I am so sorry. You taught me better. <laughs> But eventually, I was spending more money on oil than gas. Oh and that's a check engine light time. <laughs> eventually, I finally saved up enough money. I decided to take it in to the mechanic. And wouldn't you know it, a 40 stinking dollar oil hose had come loose in the car, <laughs> pouring oil out onto the street. It was a simple fix. But I had assumed, and someone had told me early on, this is probably going to cost a lot of money. It might total your car. So I had believed those Untruths. Most devastating. Yes, things. I assume yes. the worst case scenario. And so I just went on driving it. But had I known that it was such an easy fix, I would have done something a lot sooner. Mm. And I think that check engine light is so symbolic of our secret sins. They're symptoms. Our secret sins are symptoms of something deeper going mm. on in our hearts. We've got to pop the hood of our hearts and take a look inside and see what the true issues are. Instead of just treating the symptoms, instead of just pouring oil into the car, we've got to see what is it exactly that's going on? What is disconnected in my life? Yeah. In fact, Jesse, in your book, Unashamed, you shared another story that I thought was a great illustration. I think a truck was coming uh, down and you guys had to adjust. What happened and how did that play into those uh, learnings that you've had about um, the risk behavior? We were going to American Basin down in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado, one of God's most beautiful places on earth. It is gorgeous. It looks like a rainbow exploded on the floor of the valley with just these colors and the streams. And so we had been up there with a family camp um, enjoying the scenery and we were on our way back down the mountain. And the roads up there, most of them aren't paved. They're single track dirt roads. And because we were at a family camp, we were in this giant suburban with no shocks bouncing down (laughs) the dirt road. And we're coming down this section where there's a very steep cliff on one side and a truck is coming up the dirt road toward us on the other side. So we put the car into park and I walked down and talked to the man in his truck who was coming up. He had a huge load in the back of his pickup, so he couldn't see behind him. So even though he should have backed down the mountain, he didn't feel comfortable doing that. So he asked us and the four cars behind us to back up this single track dirt road to make room for him to pass. So I get out of the car. I, I go to the car behind us. It was a blue SUV. And I go to the window. I say, ma'am, this man, he's not feeling real comfortable backing down. We're going to need to back up this hill. And she was ticked. She was not happy. She slammed her car into reverse and she starts backing up. But she was so mad that she didn't realize that her wheels were turned the wrong way. And she was backing toward that cliff uh. with just a steep drop off to a ravine below. And I start to go into panic mode. I run up to her window. I'm like, ma'am, your wheels are the wrong direction. And she's like, oh, I got this. She starts backing up more. And she go, her back wheel starts lifting off the ground. She's going off this cliff. And I reach my hand into the car. And I'm like, you have got to get out now. Do you see the danger that you're in? And she still didn't see. She thought she could get herself out of this. Wow. So four big boys from Oklahoma come running down the dirt road 
right as she finally realizes that her car is about to tip over and go down this ravine. I'm yanking her out of the car, <laughs> pulling her out. They're jumping on the back of the bumpers. I am praying, Lord God, hold this car up with your angels. I found out later there were four or five other cars at the bottom of that ravine, and uh. hers could have been one of them that day because she didn't realize the precariousness of her situation. Mm -hmm. She thought she could fix it. And sin does that. It blinds us to see the urgency of our situation. We feel like we can fix this. It's not a big deal. So many other people are going through a similar thing. It's pretty normal in our culture. And we don't realize that we are in very real danger of spiritual death. Yeah. I, that's a vibrant way to view that. I mean, the idea that uh, we're careening up or down some mountain road, uh, emotionally, physically, in some cases, especially with these secret sins. Uh, you encourage girls, Jesse, who are struggling with sin to be proactive and not um, simply be the victim. Um, in fact, you tell them to learn about uh, the study of sin. Now, a lot of parents are going, what? I, to talk to my teen daughter and say, listen, we need to study tonight about sin. Um, yeah. That seems almost too confrontational. Hmm. How would you approach that? And what does it mean to, mm -hmm. to study sin? I think all Christians need to have a right understanding of homardiology, that study of sin. You know, it's, it's kind of like the difference between in school sitting and reading a textbook about the Holocaust. You know, it's kind of dry... It's removed from your personal experience. But if you go and visit Auschwitz, if you go and see those brick buildings where people were murdered, mm -hmm. it brings a reality to that situation that you didn't understand before. And I think that's what we need to do as Christians. We hear so much about sin and Jesus dying for our sins that it takes the reality out of it, the urgency out of it, the beauty out of what Jesus has done for us. Yeah. We have to understand just how dangerous our sin is, or we can't appreciate just how magnificent being free from sin is. Why do you think uh, a person, and of course you experience this as a teen girl, why do we get comfortable in sin? And we don't see the danger. We don't hear the person grabbing the wheel say, get out before mm -hmm. the car careens down the cliff. Mm -hmm. Why do we just sit there saying, no, we're, we're going to continue to back up? Mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit of the frog in the kettle scenario where you start out with a little bit and it doesn't seem too bad and then a little bit more and it just becomes normative. When it becomes normative in your life, you know, you think about Going back to the Holocaust, there were so many people who went to their death not realizing the danger that they were in because how could something so scary be normal, intersect into my normal life? It just seemed too bizarre. And I think that happens for us when we're caught in secret sins. We, we're just going through life. We get up, we brush our teeth, we go to school. We don't see the immediate danger mm. because it's not something we can put our fingers on. Yeah. You're listening to Focus on the Family. Today we're talking to Jesse Manassian, author of the book Unashamed, Overcoming the Sins No Girl Wants to Talk About. And what we're really describing here is open communication between daughter and parent. And uh, when, you, when you think of that, is it more effective for a mom to be talking or a dad or both? Mm. How do you see that? I will say that if either the mom or the dad has struggled with a secret sin in the past, please be the first one to talk about it. It always comes better knowing that you are not perfect. Then I have to ask this question, how much as a parent do you disclose mm -hmm. about yeah, those things? Absolutely, that's so a tricky question. So you don't feed 
a, a teen girl's appetite. Well, mom yeah. did it or dad yeah. did it, so why don't yeah. I do it? The key to not feeding the appetite is explaining just how miserable you were in that sin. And I know there's always a part of sin that is not miserable, that feels good and you enjoy, and that's why we get sucked into it. But if you can explain how it affected your life, whether that be one of these five secret sins or something else entirely, whether it be greed or self-serving or to be open about what that did to your life, how that affected you. My mom, I, I will tell you, we we didn't talk about her sexual past, the sins that she had in that area, but she was very open about partying. And she talked to me a lot about how she used to go to these parties and how it was miserable. It led her to do things that she wished she hadn't done. She talked about the negative consequence of it in a very matter-of-fact way. And that kept me from going down that road huh. because I, I could learn from her example. It created a warning sign for exactly. you. Instead of a, ooh, that sounds intriguing. It's like, oh, well, I certainly don't want to do that. Right. No, that's good honesty. Um, last time we, we left off, you were talking about parents leaning into their kids, and you talked about those three scenarios. The parent where maybe they suspect nothing, but open the dialogue and make sure that uh, your teen girl stays on the right track. Maybe you do suspect something, and you talked about how to begin to engage with that teen daughter, talking about maybe friends are experiencing this, how are you doing in this area? Or the final of the three scenarios, there's evidence that your daughter is doing some form of a secret sin, self-harm, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, sexual sin, um, whatever it might be, eating disorders, and you have to engage. Um, let's concentrate on that last one uh, for hope for that Christian parent who now knows that the side that they've seen from their daughter isn't the whole story. Um, how do you not go to shaming mm -hmm. that daughter mm -hmm. as the parent? Because that, if, for many parents, that's what they think will be an effective tool. How could you do this? Right. Don't you know the harm it right. will cause? Um, why would you do this to us? I mean, all those things can be said. What are the right things to be said in that moment? Yeah. The first thing, even now, begin praying that God will give you the self-control to constrain your emotions, because those are they're highly emotional topics. And what she needs in that moment, when you have that first conversation, is not your judgment, but your unconditional love. She needs you to listen. Instead of coming down hard on her, ask questions. Wow, I didn't know you felt that way. Tell me more. How did, how did this happen? How did... How did you feel about this situation? I can imagine this would be really hard for you coming to me and telling me these things. I just want to tell you how much I respect you for coming to me in that. It may be that consequences or boundaries are in order in certain scenarios. But you I can't would, see that boy any longer. You can't uh, right. go out on Friday night. You can't have the keys to the car. Right. There will probably be natural consequences in many situations. But that initial conversation is not the time to talk about the consequences. Mm. It is the time to extend grace and understanding and as a fellow sinner saved by grace and to say, you know what? I just want you to know that I am for you and I'm going to help you do whatever needs to be done to help you get in a healthy place. Jesse, in John 5, there's that great story where Jesus asks a lame man, do you want to get well? And he immediately responds with all the excuses as to why he couldn't help himself. You know, I can't get down to the pool. I, you know, I'm lame and people jump in the pool before I can get there. And 
what what is going on with all that? Because you think somebody in their right mind would say, yes, right. and just let the Lord do it. Right. What was he trying to do by making excuses? Isn't that intriguing? I found that story so interesting because it's the only instance in scripture where Jesus asked someone if they would like to get well. Huh. Everyone else had come to Jesus, son of David, have mercy, Lord, heal me. But when he went to that man and said, do you want to get well? That gave me pause because Jesus never wasted words, right? right? He knew the answer before he asked it. So why did he ask him? And as I mold on that in the context of secret sins, I realized something. Someone who has been sick for a very long time, sometimes they're not sure if they want to get yeah. well. And I think that's why he offered the excuse right off the bat. When Jesus said, do you want to get well? He said, I can't. There's no one to take me into the pool, right? When we've been in sin for that long, sometimes the comfort of our sin, it's the familiar. It's a scary thing to say, I'm going to take a step of faith, which is what Jesus asked him to do next. Mm -hmm. When he gave the excuses, Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, let's go. He tested him to see, let's see if he's serious about this. Is he really going to take that step? And that's what so many of us mm -hmm. who are caught for a long time in an addictive, perpetual sin have to do. We have to be willing to take a first step of faith, of action. Well, and, and that's a beautiful place where I need to ask this ne next question. You have done a great job equipping us as parents to engage our teen daughters, our teen boys too, to open up the dialogue. Even if you don't suspect something, do it. Open up that dialogue. Begin to talk about these secret sins. Don't let those four or five years slip away and your son or daughter goes off to college and then it becomes a full blossom situation right. that you've got to now engage in a much more uh, difficult way. Um, at the end of your book, you conclude with hope, which is what it is all mm -hmm. about. Uh, explain how godly hope is, is different from the kind of hope that a lot of people think about. Hope is such a funny word in the English language. I mean, we can hope that our grandma gets well in the same breath that we hope 7-Eleven isn't out of Slurpees. Like it's just... <laughs> right. It covers the gambit. It's yeah. the whole gamut. When we look at the biblical form of hope, though, in Greek, in the New Testament, it's elpo, a favorable and confident expectation, a forward look with assurance. It's not something that we do, like, I hope that this is going to happen. It's something that we have. It's the assurance that God gives us, that we are his, that our future is safe with him, and that we have access to his very presence. In Hebrews 6.19, it says, this hope, that hope that we just described, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Yeah. And for someone who is caught in a cycle of sin, there is nothing like the thought of holding steady. I mean, we are being tossed by emotion, by shame, by being afraid of what people are going to think. And the thought of having a soul anchored is revolutionary. Yeah. And that is so good. And it's good to be specific on how to define God's definition of hope, not what we think it is. Absolutely. <laughs> and there's three areas specifically that apply this idea of hope to someone who is caught up in secret sins. And I want to share these because ultimately as parents, our goal in broaching these subjects with our kids is because we know that there is something better. It's not because we want to be punitive and discipline them for something they've done wrong. It's because we know that there is a richer life and God can make beauty 
out of the ashes. Mm. He can allow us to have more to give to others, to help others in their struggles because of what we've been through. And he gives us the hope of heaven where we're not going to have to deal with this stinky old sin anymore, which is so exciting. And we want our kids to grasp hold of the reality of that. That's the greatest hope of all. I love that. I think of that, and uh, that is the hope that we have in Christ. Amen. And that's what I want to share with unbelievers all the time. Um, Jesse Manassian, author of the book, Unashamed, Overcoming the Sins No Girl Wants to Talk About. Thank you so much for that vulnerability. Thank you for demonstrating how to walk as a Christian woman um, with things that weren't so good in your past, but with the hope of future in God. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Well, we so appreciate what you have in terms of a platform to speak with girls and uh, the young women that you uh, communicate with. And uh, Jesse, you're helping us as parents to better connect with this age group. And uh, for that, we say thank you. Our program was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller. Our conversation with Jessie Manassian over the last two days has been phenomenal. She has been vulnerable about some very difficult past issues in her life, but has also shared the hope she found in Christ, who rescued her from her secret sins and brought her to a place of freedom. And my encouragement to you is to make sure that your daughter or son feels secure in your relationship so that if there are secrets that need to be dealt with they can come to you and maybe you'd like to use a resource as a tool to open up conversation with your teen i want to recommend a book by jesse manassian called backwards beauty how to feel ugly in 10 simple steps to order your copy you can call us on 031-716-3300 or visit our website at safamily.co.za. With Christmas around the corner, this could be the perfect gift for your youngster. And speaking of Christmas, please take a look at our Christmas catalog online, which has loads of specials and great gift ideas for the whole family. Visit safamily.co.za to check out all the deals and be sure to order this week to make sure your gifts arrive in time for Christmas. Thanks for listening in today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. <laughs>